Golay presents Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. 100% Irish and direct to your door. Greetings to you, my Recorded Historical Society, and welcome to Recorded History with the RecordHub.com. I'm your host, Ed Smith, and this is the podcast where you get to hear about the life story of some of your favourite musicians, comedians, actors, authors, presenters, and this week, yet another international music superstar, all by way of the three records that have come to mean the most to them. Yes, so back to this week's international superstar. That's how I'm going to say it from now on. Like many of us, I fell in love with Sigrid back in 2017, when she released one of the bangers of the decade in Don't Kill My Vibe. And since then, she has hit us with one after another, with the likes of Strangers, Sucker Punch, Don't Feel Like Crying, as well as two absolutely phenomenal albums. She's back on the road, and she took time the day before she took to the stage at St. Anne's Park to chat about her meteoric rise, having Joni Mitchell for breakfast as a child, how she's dealt with the pitfalls of the business, and we even get into it about the Norwegian education system. I promise you, it's much more interesting than it sounds. Yes, and as you're about to hear, she's sparky smart, very driven, but also very open and honest. So let's get into it, shall we? Here is the sensational Sigrid and her recorded history. Sigrid, you're very welcome back to Ireland, or home, as I should say. How have you been? Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Uh, Good. I'm a little jet-lagged. Came from South Korea oh, wow. yesterday. We were on tour there, um, which was amazing. But I've had a day off in Dublin, which has been great. So this is your day off? Uh, yes. And we had a little conversation pre-pod. Uh-huh. That's a new word I just come up with. Uh, about your favorite pubs in Ireland. Uh, you do know a few of them because yes. you did a little tour. I'm not calling you an alcoholic, but you had professional reasons to tour <laughs> many of the pubs of Ireland. And you're going to go for a day of it today? This is going out after the fact, don't worry. This isn't no, live. No. You're not going to get loads of fans coming down. I will be going out tonight. Yeah, yeah. That's a positive. It's my backline technician's birthday, so... So we're thinking, yeah, we're, we're just trying to suggest pubs to you there. Yes. To go. You want a beer garden? A beer garden would be nice. Quiet. Quiet. Mm. Or either quiet or like a live band. Oh my God. Either or. Well, today's the day for it. Yeah. Listen, normally I want to get a guest on Recorded History and I ask them to pick their three albums that mean or have the most significance to them through their lives. Uh, it's a tough one. It can be hard. But I don't think this is the first time I've had a guest on where it was visibly a hard task for you because not only did you send me three great records, <laughs> you sent me on a list of other albums that didn't make the top three. And if they'd let me know quickly, let me please mention other important records to me is what you said. <laughs> so we can run through some of those. You've got the ones that didn't quite make it were Casey Musgraves, mm. Golden Air, mm. beautiful singer. Absolutely one of my favorite records. It's like quite rare you get records where you want to listen to that from start to finish. Yeah. And you never feel like there's a filler for a moment. She's incredible. I saw her do a tribute to Loretta Lynn at the CMA Awards. Mm. I'd recommend you look at it. Just her and a guitar sitting on the Sick. stool. That's a true test. She's a really, really phenomenal artist. The Cure Best Of. Mm. And when you wouldn't have, you've had the CD line around the house then when you were coming up. Yeah, I even oh, wrote that in brackets on I the think side. Every in the house email. had one, yeah. Yeah, I remember, I don't know who bought that CD, but I'm guessing I will, it's a strong guess for my brother or my dad. Mm. Um, but also, one of my favorite parts of like having that record growing up in the, in the CD bookshelf um, was that it was the greatest hits. Yeah. And I 
love a good hit. I know. I love the they catchy ones. They had a lot ones. of them. Thankfully. They had a lot of yeah. them. And it was kind of amazing to be introduced to someone's discography. And it was just like the best of every yeah, album. Yeah. There were so gateway. many amazing songs. And one of my favorites on that album was Love Cats. Oh, yes. It's so... Dum, dum, yes. Dum, dum cheeky yeah. and interesting and, and fun and playful and cool and totally different to any other song I was introduced to in junior high school with oh like God. listening to them Amazing. anything that was popular at the moment it's quite a mixed list as well I mean you've got The Cure you've got Licky Lee's in there mm. you've got Car but Carol King Tapestry mm. amazing yeah one of the greatest of all time I don't think my parents introduced me to that record oh. I think that was I think I found it somewhere later in life probably after high school and I mean we you know we all know um, Natural Woman yeah. I've heard that song my whole life yeah, and I remember yeah, my yeah. both my vocal teacher and my piano teacher absolutely love that song but I went to see the musical in New York oh, wow. of her life and that was also an incredible way to learn about um, someone's life like I have a lot of favorite bands and artists where I know nothing about their personal life mm. it's the music but with Carol King, I think I fell in love with the music also after hearing her story being portrayed in, yeah, in that and the show was good, yeah. It was so good. Oh, fantastic. Okay, yeah. well, look, <laughs> we could have done an entire series of podcasts <laughs> on the list that we're not going to talk about. Yeah. So we really should get to the list of the three that you have finally chosen. Mm. This is your recorded history. We're starting off with your very first choice. It's 2002. Sigrid, what is your very first record for your recorded history? It had to be a rush of blood to the head. Yes. Coldplay. Yeah. It's um, probably the record that uh, really got me into music and made me understand music was more than just something that was passing me by in my life. It's like, ah, it's nice to hear a song here and there, but like literally life changing. Mm -hmm. It started with, um, we were on a family holiday. Uh, my sister, brother and my two parents and me. Um, and we were at a train station and I was trying to be a bit cool and like So you would have been six or seven when it came out, were you or do you remember how old were you? I probably was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But this was a couple of years after okay. the release. Uh I was like nine, nine or ten when my brother had put it on his disc man, a song. A disc man. Disc man. Wow. He had one of the songs on it. <laughs> and I was trying to be cool and like stay away from the crowd, be like, I'm gonna be a teenager and not oh. hang out with my family. Yeah, yeah. And I put on the song that was on this disc man sitting by myself in some sort of like a, a, a structure thingy at this train station. And then I hear like, mind blown. Yeah. Best thing I had heard in my nine or 10 year old life. And it had that much of an impact you on you at, at that young age. Yeah. It changed everything. It, I was playing piano. I played piano since I was seven, but I think I just wasn't aware you could play something like that on piano. It was just so catchy and immediate and dreamlike. And yeah, I just felt, yeah, amazing. And this I still feel from, like that when I talk yeah, about the song we're hearing. I think it's, to me now, you may disagree, I think it's their best album mm -hmm. of all of them. Mm -hmm. It's the follow-up to Parachutes, yeah. of course. And I think Parachutes introduced them to the world. Yellow was a massive hit, yeah. wasn't it? And then... I think they made the conscious decision. I've grown to love albums, that, which I call bridge albums, between what, a, uh, like say for example, with Radiohead, The Bends. Mm -hmm. And then they, in their minds, decide, we don't want to stick around this genre or this vibe at all. Let's go somewhere else. And mm -hmm. OK Computer for me is what I call a bridge album that 
that gets them to kid A. Mm. But it still has... Okay, computer is one of my favorites uh, too. We spoke about that in a recent yeah, episode yeah. as well. It's it's one of the greatest of all time. But I think, again, the case with A Rush of Blood to the Head still has elements of who they were on Parachutes. They haven't quite gotten to where they're going with, with later albums. It's that beautiful, happy medium mm. where they're, I think they're expanding their sound. You know, there's a lot more guitars on this. Mm. You've got, obviously, got the ballads on there, like The Scientist and all the rest of it. But a lot more growing in confidence as a band. I, think. I was about to say, yeah. it's it's uh, that was the word I was thinking too of confidence. It felt, it feels like it uh, as much as the band grew live. I've mm. seen the documentary, so that's where I have the info from. But uh, the bigger the venues became, yeah. the bigger the music. The a rush of blood to the head is screaming yeah. like we're going on stadium tour. And type they of obviously like, had that ambition from an early mm. early stage in their career. And very smart about it. The opening track on it. It changes. My favorite track. I have two favorites. We're not here to talk about mine, but the no, opening track. The opening track is "Politic," mm. which is an absolutely blistering opening mm. track on the album. And I only recently discovered that they wrote that song on 9/11, the day that 9/11 happened. Oh wow! And Coldplay were obviously in the, in the throes of recording "A Rush of Blood to the Head," and Chris Martin and whoever he used to write the songs with they used to go away for a weekend, and then come back on a Monday. Then they'd work on the songs. And it was on 9-11, they wrote that song. So wow. they felt they had to say something. That's very scary and troubled time for the world, you know. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on in this album. With, do you have a standout track? Do you, is there a particular song that you'll put on more than the rest? For, uh, for songs? From the it? album, from this, from this album, yeah. It's hard, I feel coming it? back to Amsterdam. Yeah. Because that brings me back to my childhood. Yeah. Um. And I love the sentimentality of it. Also, what I love about how I discovered Coldplay was that I fell in love with the melodies and the production of Coldplay, mm. not the lyrics, because English is my second language. Of course. Grew up in Norway, so I had no idea what they were singing about, but it made me feel something. And I think that's something that... I've never that, thought of it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most incredible things about Coldplay. I think they're able to make everyone who doesn't understand English too to be able to feel mm. feel the meaning throughout the songs. Um, and you're saying that when you first heard the opening piano of, mm. was it Clocks or Clocks. Pia- Clocks? Yeah, that was the one. That it just stopped you in your tracks. Absolutely. Mm. And I like the drum intro to In My Place, one of the most iconic drum intros. And speaking of when you mentioned there that you started playing the piano at the age of seven. Yeah. Yeah. And then you started singing at 13. I was not good at seven though. <laughs> well, no. You have to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And you start singing at 13, you know, and your siblings are quite musical as well. Yeah. So is it fair to assume that there was a lot of music in your house from your parents growing up? A lot of music. Yeah. A lot. Like music has been a huge part of our everyday life. Like when we, dinner was always just chatting. We were just talking a lot, um, discussing a lot of things. Like, I think I'm the youngest one, so I've always been forced to like reach for my siblings. Okay, yeah. yeah. My sister's three years older, and my brother's five years older. Okay. So when they were like, uh, when they got into like um, youth political parties, like uh, you know how it's I don't know how to explain it in English, like how political parties will have like their youth. Yes, yeah, there'll be a youth division. Yes, of, youth division. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, when they started doing that, like I was also forced to be like have an opinion and like join the discussion, like oh. Ah. Which was great and so cool, but so that was more like dinner time. But breakfast, usually in the weekends, we would always play music. What mm. kind of records do you remember were lying around? What would be put on? My mom used to play a lot of Joni Mitchell. Wow. Okay. A lot of this. Uh, this is gonna sound, but we're not. But uh, a lot of like Vivaldi. Oh, excuse <laughs> yeah. me. I know. 
Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Adidas. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Vivaldi oh, and uh, Chet me. Baker oh, and Neil good. Young. Uh, also, a teenage fan club. We oh, played a lot in the car. God, what a diet. Yeah, it was really, yeah. it was very varied. Blur. We had a record of Blur. Yeah. I would have had the Eagles. Oh, uh, e- Eagles for breakfast, lunch and dinner. Nice. Actually, and then just before going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> You'd hear Hotel California. Uh, so, yeah, that was a real dad record for no me. No way. Yeah, 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 Hotel, so. Is that Hotel California? Is that like one of your, would you say, like I, I think childhood songs? Now that I mention it, it did play an, un, I suppose, unwilling part of my childhood. It was on a lot. I was doing a little bit of digging around and research on, if you don't mind, the Norwegian education system when it comes to music. Mm, nice. I'm going to push my glasses up my nose. Time, time now for me to nerd out cigarettes. So 96.5% of Norwegian children between 6 and 16 attend public schooling and music is given by one weekly lesson through the 10-year compulsory school, right? Mm -hmm. It's incredible. And in Norway, children of all abilities are undivided into their classes. And during those 10 years of schooling, in lower secondary school, all the way up to secondary school, they are given compulsory music lessons. And if you decide then, yeah, if you decide then to pursue it in, I think, senior Mm -hmm. secondary school, Mm -hmm. You get eight to ten weekly lessons over three years in music, not just music, but, you know, main instrument band, orchestra playing, choir, as well as theoretical and theatre stage studies. That's true, is it? obviously. It is I read it true. on the internet. So yeah. That is, to, for an Irish person to hear that, that is astonishing. I know it's very similar in Sweden mm. and a lot of the countries in and around there that from such a young and early age that music is instilled and you're surrounded by music and it's not that it's forced upon you but it's just woven in as we just mentioned the tapestry of your life from a very very young age how was that experience i mean, suppose you don't have any opinion on it it was just how you grew up i love that you brought this up yeah i was thinking about the norwegian school system yesterday when i was around Perfect. for Let's a while forget about the right. records let's talk about the education <laughs> systems around the world yeah. first of all yeah, I love that you mentioned. I didn't know it was 96.5% of Norwegian kids go Are to public in school. Public schooling, yeah. Great. A public school is very strong in Norway, yeah, yeah. which I think is the foundation of a society. I really believe in public schools. Yeah. So music was mandatory. And what I really loved about it was that, I mean, I was okay in like gymnastics like the gym but like I did not have a talent for football handball running not my thing and it was so important to me as a kid to feel like I could find self-confidence in something else and that's for every kid to feel like there is something that's astonishing it's true it's so healthy and organic and empowering for children that as you say if you're not good at skiing in Norway or football, yeah. that you, well, that, that's it. I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do for you. Exactly. But that music is put on a par with all those other activities. I was so shy in gym. Like I yeah. hated it for the most part. I didn't enjoy like how, I remember actually we once like we um, distinguished the class in like girls gym and boys gym and I had the best time. The old girls we were just running around. It was great. But of course, like it was usually the guys taking the football and running yeah, away with it yeah, and us trying to like catch up and like can we join but in music I felt like again that was another feel where it was like leveled again of like everyone could so it was partic- a great way for you to express and find yourself absolutely were you a shy child or were you uncomfortable a- around crowds and I was Groups. very shy. Yeah. I was uh, in kindergarten I was on stage with 200 kids and my parents had to take me down because I was crying. crying so much <laughs> 
because I was so shy. But then I started that doing changed. theater. It's fair to say. Yeah, that changed a yeah. lot. Now it's like the least scary part of my you job is going on stage. They're crying, you're crying off stage and they have to put you on stage. Yeah. So fuck <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, I, I think that music education was really cool. And the reason why I am a songwriter and an artist is because of school assignments in music. That's and that's not a joke. Amazing. I've always loved assignments. Like I really loved school, except gym. Sorry, mom. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember in music, like we got the task in ninth grade when we had all started learning how to play guitar. So that's how I got into Neil Young. That's how I understood the Neil Young songs that my dad had been trying to play to me because I was like, oh, this is good. Harvest Moon on guitar. This is fucking sick. At nine. No. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Uh, 15. 15. 15. I would have yeah, been surprised. Yeah. You, could, you could have said two and I would have been no. <laughs> no, no, no. I was not like a child prodigy. I had talent. Yeah. I was, but I will show you a video afterwards of me singing and I did not have a good singing voice. That's something my sister taught but me. But the platform was there for you. The platform was to there. Express, and to, to try it. Of course. Like, and like, you know, and, and find huge, that outlet. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, I'm hugely privileged to come from Norway to... Mm. Um, grew up with my parents and my two siblings and it was a very safe uh, childhood not in any way trying to like say that there's not privilege in that but I was really shy and to have that uh, mandatory music session where one of the tasks was uh, cover a song and make it into your own and I was I wanted to like overachieve and like impress my teachers I was like well I'm gonna change the chords so that's how I got into writing of like, that well. That gave you the confidence then. Yes. And then I got a good grade from that. And I was like, oh, that's fun. So I continue with that. And like in high school, when I finished my second song, which is called Two Fish for those specifically interested in that, uh, that was an English assignment because my teacher said that I was like in between two grades. And like, if you do like, it was like, can you, it, it was for everyone in, in the class. Mm. But he was like, if any, everyone like writes a poem that we will like reevaluate your grades. And then again, I was like, I'm going to write a song. And I did get a better grade. Of course so, you did. Success. Wow. <laughs> that's incredible, isn't but, it? Yeah, that's the music mandatory schooling and classes have had a huge impact on me in my career, as well as like public piano lessons funded like public schools after school as well. That's been a huge. And that's all provided. Because I was also reading about the Swedish scene, people were all, all, have always been asked, like, what is it about particularly in Sweden mm. that has produced Max Martin and, you know, going back to ABBA, that they have a very strong tradition, uh, Ace of Base, you know, all these great pop artists. And it was quite obvious that, similar to Norway, that children are, from the age of four or five, music is just part of their lives. It's just as much as uh, important as history or learning English or maths, music. It's all placed on the same level playing field and they're just exposed to it. Mm. And it comes so much more naturally to them. The technical side and the melody and and through that then we've got some of the greatest pop artists and writers of well, all time. You know, you've got coming from a great music nation as well. Well, I mean, yeah, but Come I think again, we we don't really have we've a boy band and boy you know, girl band tradition here, which I don't know how strong we are. We we're getting there now. Mm. We're obviously a very, very big Irish traditional, very singer, songwriter, indie band, all of that, no doubt. Incredible music yeah. coming from. Oh, I'll, I'll give us some props in fairness, you know. But uh, what we'll do now is before we wander down the the memory lane too long, we're going to go to your second choice as we mm -hmm. jump into the recorded history time machine sauna, if you will. We're going to head along now to your second choice, Sigrid. What is it? 
Now you're gonna have to help me with the pronunciation here. So I've asked you before. I hope I pronounce it right myself. It is Canicular Days. Canicular Days, yeah. By the Norwegian band. Here we go. Droppe. Droppe. Yeah, nice. I got it. Yeah. Okay, great. Now I had to do a bit of research on this. I couldn't find much, so we're going to have to hand over the baton to you here. First of all, what I can say, it is absolutely stunning. It's from 2013. It's their debut album. If you like your ethereal dream pop shoegazy, mm. if you like your Tame Impala, mm. you like your Sigaras, it's like Tame Impala and Sigaras living in a forest in a cabin. Spot on. Yeah, and there's a pool near. Anyway, I've, I've, I've thought about this it's a lot. It's a bit of Rivendale in there as well. There is. Like Lord of the Rings. There's all of that. Good it, times. That's my favorite part of the Lord of the Rings franchise is, is the, every time we're in the elf's land because then everyone's happy, having a great time. That's how we imagine life is oh. like in Norway. <laughs> we think that's a documentary of how everyone just skis to work and gets up in the I levels. mean, that's the picture Norway likes to sell at least. <laughs> anyway, go back to your second choice. So it's Droppa. Yes. And the album is Canicular Days. Canicular Days, I believe, means the hot period between July and early September. If you, I didn't know that either, so mm. I'm learning a lot from you, Sigurd. I didn't know that either. Uh, tell us, why is it here? This is one of my favorite albums. I keep coming back to this band. Um, I actually met them for the first time this summer, and it was so strange because I was fangirling so much. It was incredible, and they were really lovely. And apparently they liked my music too, and that was really cool. Anywho, sidetrack. Sorry, that shouldn't be about me. Um <laughs> The music is absolutely incredible. I fell in love with the production first and foremost. Yeah. It was so cool. And when it came out, it felt like it was just like new. And it was kind of like, I felt like it was like my secret. And I would like tell all my friends about it when I heard it. Um, I've seen them live a couple of times. Um, the songwriting as well. It is, as you say, ethereal. It is dreamy. It feels like just a sweet escape every time I listen to it. It's so beautiful. It. Sister's Eye, I think, is such a beautiful song on this. And we, so would you have heard this when it came out originally 10 years ago or has it come to you later in life? Probably, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know you moved to Bergen uh, in around this time when you were 17 or so. Uh, 18. 18. 19, yeah. yeah. So you moved to Bergen instead of going to university to immerse yourself in the indie music scene in Bergen. How was that decision for your parents? Were they fully supportive or was it? Was it a conversation no, over Jody Mitchell it, at breakfast? They thought it would be a gap year. So they were like, yeah, oh, go yeah. for it. <laughs> that you told them, yeah. They didn't know it would turn into this. No, I've, I've been very lucky that my parents, um, again, probably because university is free in Norway. I've had the privilege of thinking like, well, if music doesn't work out, yeah. I can go to university. And that I moved to Bergen because my brother was living there. I moved to Bergen to be with him and like be with his friends and immerse myself in that uh, music scene in Bergen. And I think the music scene in Bergen is maybe the most interesting and cool in Norway. Bergen has always been very outward looking. The first thing that my manager said to me when I moved to Bergen was, well, you're on a flight to London and we'll start working and writing over there, which was really cool. It was straight away, kind of straight away. Wow. But it was great. It was like a huge, uh, and like a great music education and just meeting a lot of people and writing. Of course. Uh, learning a lot about myself and the music I wanted to do. And Is this correct that you were doing a lot of cover versions up until a certain point? Yeah. Adele being a she particular artist that you, would you would take an Adele song and you'd repurpose it into something 
quite different or what was your approach to doing covers then? I don't think I even dared to okay. do anything with Adele songs. Okay, right. I just sang them. Oh, you just sang them. They yeah. were so good. And speaking of your brother then, he gave you a challenge. He said, look, enough with the covers. Come on now. And there was a gig in two weeks. Mm. I said, you're going to write a song for the gig. Yeah. What are your memories of that? Was it, was it scary to you or I just intimidating? Were you overwhelmed or were you just yeah. ready to go? 100% I was intimidated and he was playing that show and how he was just so like, well, it's not, come on, just do it. I know you can do it. Mm. You can just finish the song. And it was just me overthinking and probably spent like half a year to try and finish something. I know, yeah. But I just needed a deadline. Need that push. Yeah. And I got that push and it was the best thing. And that song has actually, that's a side story. You know, BBC Introducing. Yeah. Do you have an equivalent to that in... Ireland? Not particularly. We, we, we have a prize. We have a Mercury Prize called the Choice oh, Music yeah, yeah. Prize. Yeah. But BBC Introducing, we have the Norwegian equivalent, Anarche Urert. And my brother said that I should upload that first song that I wrote for his gig, that I should upload it to that page. And like, I did it to SoundCloud as well, but to upload it on Urert was the smartest thing I had done because they picked it up. And I've heard since, because I have a good friend who, wor- who worked there at that time, that my first song, it was the first song I finished, it's called Sun. It's probably a, yeah. someone who's ripped it and put it on YouTube. <laughs> but uh, they used it as an example for songwriters and artists who have no talent. Way. Like there is something, but it's very unfinished and very unpolished. So it's quite raw. It was very raw. And like yeah. that song did not change my life or like give make me like an overnight success as, you know, can sometimes happen when you know with other tv shows or where you're exposed to the world very quickly for me it was like a tiny like like it did change your life in a way because it's the very first song that you wrote yourself that you put out there and i suppose to give you the confidence then to exactly to use that as a stepping stone it gave me the confidence to go to the music room again in school and be like right let's sit down and write more there is something here and that was the push I needed to really trust myself and to take credit for my own writing skills. And that was amazing. So this gets us into a very amazing part of your career and life. When we're going to use record three. Yes. Of your recorded history, an incredible choice and in an album I haven't heard to haven't heard or listened to again since in and around the time it came out. So Sigurd, I'll ask you to introduce it. What is your third record of your recorded history? The third album is an album that was hugely important for me right after high school in my first year in Bergen, and it is Art Angels by Grimes. Yeah. Wow. What a choice. Mm. I can see why it's... Listen to your music now. <laughs> I can see why this was an important record for you. Especially Soccer Punch. Yeah. There we go. Absolutely. So tell us, why is it here? Do you remember when you first heard this album then and the impact it had on you? It was the first fall of uh, my year in Bergen. I just moved there. At this time, I was also like obsessed with the previous band we talked about, Droppe mm. and Canicular Days. So I was very like listening to all that like shoegaze music and loved indie rock and very much in that. And then Art Angels dropped. And I remember so well sitting in the apartment, like shared flats with a good friend of mine, Anna. We were in her bedroom and she had a vinyl record player. Right. And it was like in a window up on the roof where you could like climb up on the roof and sit outside and have beers and smoke. Oh, God, it sounds so great. It was I'd love to do that right now. the best time yeah. 
I felt so free and we would put on this record, All Right Angels, sit on the floor, drink wine. We felt like the coolest kids in the universe. You know when you, when stars align and you mm. everything looks like a movie, literally. You look like you're in a really cool Greta Gerwig film. Yeah. And you just feel like, wow. Re- I'm tearing really, up here. Sorry, yeah. I'm just trying to remember the last time and I had that. I'm exactly. Try and like, recreate it today. Sit on the rooftop and uh. you have the whole city beneath you and you have the view mm. and you're sharing a beer and you talk about the parties you're going to go to, the club that was two minutes down the road where we had the sweatiest nights on the dance okay, floor. Yeah. It was so fun. Anyways, Bergen was amazing. And listening to that record of Grimes, it was the first time, the last time I'd heard like, um, like, I kind of want to say like in the in the music, there was some sort of aggression um, or a very insisting energy that I'd heard what I fell in love with in Adele's voice. Okay, yeah. Adele's voice is very... Such a powerful instrument, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It is so powerful. Mm. Ellie Golding as well. Oh, okay. Halcyon was a hugely important record to me. Yeah. How it was very insisting and it was bursting with creativity. And that was the same for Art Angels, like, no skips on that album. I listened to everything and how she used her voice as an instrument and the production she made was incredible. Well, it's an interesting one, this, because it's her fourth album and she had released Visions mm. for that. Mm-hmm. And that was very well received by her fans. Mm. And then I think subsequently she, you know, she's, I have a quote here from her actually saying, it led to a physical collapse, Grimes physically collapsed yeah after the release of 2012's Visions and by the end of the year bringing her to a point where she recalled putting a hand up and grabbing a piece of her hair so she could just pull her hair out so she was in I think a lot of mental almost well I suppose physical turmoil after Visions and she recorded all the songs engineered and produced them herself Mm. and completely alone then she scrapped she scrapped all the songs and re-recorded them for the album now that we hear as art angels and a lot of people have different theories as to why she did it but she's come out and said quite plainly that the songs that she originally recorded for the album she was still in that kind of I'm not trying to downplay it here but that funk after Visions she was Mm. I suppose in quite a hollow place Mm. and the songs that resulted from that time she was like no I need to I need to produce something more positive with a lot more energy I need to reflect I'm in a much better place now so she scrapped all the songs and I suppose thankfully because art angels I think is up there with one of her, some of her best work. Um, I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Very insightful. As is something that maybe you've discovered since your own success, but there was a bit of a backlash mm. from her fans didn't like the direction she took mm. with Art Angels. They thought she was selling out and becoming too uh, mainstream. And if you listen to it now, you're going... That's where I get in and love <laughs> it. <laughs> it's, it's kind of our job is to have as many people listen to her music as possible. Well, depends. Yeah. That's an interesting question though. What is the... Is there a happy medium that you have to strike as an artist? Um, I think we are artists because... Or we, without sounding incredibly cheesy, but I think I'm an artist because I love creating music. Mm. I love being able to explain how I feel into a song and feel like I got something good out of a situation that was maybe a bit shitty. And then I love touring because I love seeing people being happy for an hour. It's incredible to see that release throughout a crowd and it can be 100 people in the room or it can be 60,000 in the field. It's but I've seen you a few times, that is absolutely apparent. Hmm. The energy you give back to the crowd, it's, I suppose, not to, if you excuse me if I use a very fancy word here, 
it's sorry, if I get it right now, symbiotic in so much mm. as the crowd's feeding off you, you're feeding off the crowds. I love you so I feed off them. Yeah. Yeah. And I've I've absolutely noticed that. And I've seen you in small rooms, I saw you in other voices. Oh yeah. In Dingle. Oh. Yeah. Oh Dingle. Magic. It was magic. Then I saw you saw you at Electric Picnic. Mm. Uh where you finished your tour. I Electric wrote a song Pic- about Electric Picnic. Yeah. Side of you. I was at that and mm. I remember thinking and then I remember seeing if hope you don't mind me mentioning, but you were crying. Yeah. And I mean, welling up to think of it. I, <laughs> uh, it was just such a beautiful moment. I think you just looked at the crowd and we were all singing. I think it was probably, I can't remember what it was. Don't kill my vibe or mm. all the words back at you. And you were just stood there and you were reduced. And it was just, we were in tears. You were in tears. It was just such a magical moment. Thank you. Yeah. I was incredible. I do. If I cry, I cry on stage. I mm. feel like... It's just hard to play cool in those moments. How do you keep it together, bro? <laughs> no one's watching me and I'm losing it in time. <laughs> no, I, I think like, I I lose it in between songs and then I'll just like dunk, click yeah. the switch, yeah, flip the switch when the song starts again and then I'll go back to like being sassy or whatever. But um, but yeah, what were we talking about? We're talking about oh, Pro Grimes. Grimes. Yeah, sorry. No, no, no. But the album, again, like what you said, like she produced it herself. Yeah. That was hugely important for a young girl to mm. see that that is. But you need to see someone like you doing something for you to be able to dream that you could do the same. And that goes for any anything. Yeah. That goes for anyone who's feeling a bit left out or afraid to take up space. And there are some parallels between you and Grimes. Like she has come out and been very vocal on what she's come up against in the music business, the misogyny mm. and the blatant sexism, you know, that they would focus on her being a female musician. I'm using air quotes now for anyone listening, mm. sorry. And having a girling voice. Um, but this is what her response was. Yeah, but I'm a producer and I spend all day looking at fucking graphs and EQs and doing really technical work. And I suppose that kind of chimes with the inspiration to Don't Kill My Vibe, I suppose rather famously. That was a reaction to you to a very condescending uh, and slightly demeaning producer that you met in the studio. Mm. And if you if you don't mind telling us about that experience. Of course. I think it's, yeah. Often like the producer sitting at the computer gets a lot of credit, whereas songwriters, mm. songwriters are the backbone. It's the same of, with movies, isn't music. it? I don't mm. understand why scriptwriters don't get mm. are deemed lesser than the director mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's their story. If the script is off, the movie's yeah, off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, don't kill my vibe. Again, I I was in the studio. I was how old was I? Like nineteen? No, twenty maybe. Mm. Doing some of my first writing sessions abroad. Um, what what can you say? Like. I'm doing this in exclamation points, like nothing worse than a couple comments. Okay. But those comments stick. Yeah, and subtle misogyny, like coming in there, being a young girl, and you're up against two elder male producers who's been in the industry for That's long. intimidating. Super intimidating. Yeah. And you're going to have a writing session where you're going to collaborate and you're going to have a teamwork. And I felt like my opinions weren't interesting to them, weren't valued. Apparently, like, my references were told that, like, they weren't cool. Um, Yeah, stuff like that. And first of all, that ruins your self-confidence. Second of all, why the fuck did you even invite me Mm. if that's how it's going to be? Like, this isn't going to be fun for anyone. Um, But fair enough. Hey, not a bad bad reply. 
uh, Don't Kill My Vibe. Yeah. One of the great bangers. Yeah. Don't Kill My Vibe came of out of that. Of its day and to this day, what and, a response. And I have to say, Don't Kill My Vibe is a song that I wrote with Martin Shirley. <laughs> also, oh, wow. okay. a male producer uh, older than me, but Martin is amazing. He's been um, a big part of me finding my confidence and loving that rasp in my voice and really encouraging me to like really shout in yeah. songs. But Don't Get My Vibe is one of my favorite songs. I'm so happy that that was the first song that most people heard from me. Um, oh yeah, not a bad start, I yeah. would think. It's fair to say. <laughs> uh, it felt good to know that the song you're singing over and over again is a strong message that can go out to anyone mm. who just, yeah. I remember that electric picnic, the place lost its mind and everyone singing the words. It's just <laughs> astonishing. <laughs> just very briefly, before we get to, the, to your last album, you've cited Taylor Swift as a big inspiration as regards how she handles her business, mm. how, she, how she has such control and is so smart about how she manages her career. Mm. And I want to ask you, what is that inspiration you take from her? Well, what is it about Taylor Swift that you look to? I think... First of all, she's one of the best songwriters of our generation. Yeah. And it's it's been an impression as a fan that she's having to prove herself over and over and over again that she is, in fact, an amazing songwriter. And I think a lot of people caught on on Folklore and Evermore. And those are some of my favorite albums of her uh, in her career. They're absolutely incredible. But she's been an incredible songwriter since day one. And... Um, yeah. She's a very smart operator as well. Very smart. And I remember watching Miss Americana and there was a quote that really stuck out for me. Um, and forgive me, I'm not going to say it in the right way, but it was something along the lines of like, uh, she was saying how women in the music industry are constantly told to like elevate, to change themselves, to like show something new for every new campaign, but don't change too much because that is uncomfortable for people. Yeah. But it's like this like quite like na narrow <laughs> middle ground where you can move in. Um, your last your album that came out last year, mm. How to Let Go, so many of the musicians and singers and songwriters that I'm speaking to on this podcast, it, the timing has aligned such as if they're promoting a new album, if they have a recent album, it's called a so-called pandemic album mm. that they would have started during the pandemic or written it during the pandemic and the, the isolation that brought. You had plans to record this in the States and mm. the next thing you find yourself in your childhood bedroom in Norway. Yeah. For how long were you home for? Probably like three months. Wow. With my parents. Yeah. So that was quite an about turn <laughs> in what you were planning. And what was the effect it had on you? Was there a danger? I know when I used to go home to my parents that no matter how old I was or where I was in my career or in my life, it, within an hour, I'd, I was regressing back to how I was mm. when I last slept in that bedroom. Mm. And I suppose I want to ask you, forgive me if this is completely off the mark, but all the momentum that you built up and that you were moving, your career was moving in such a direct way and in a very kind of positive, uh, you know, everything was working, everything was planned, everything was going in the right way, direction. And then you were back at home in your bedroom. Was there a fear that you'd lose that momentum and that you'd become a little comfortable again being back at home? Yeah. That you, you're almost supposed to move your family and that you're like, oh, this is nice and cozy. Yeah, no, for sure. I would definitely say that. Um, I did get very cozy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it was such a scary time. But also I had some peace and quiet that I hadn't had in years. Again, I was, yeah, 
privileged that I was able to be with my family. Um, and I had a lot of um, uh, stability mm. around me in a time that was not stable at all. Um, but that the nature of my job, I had been in what I like to call just like a washing machine yeah. for the, the years whirlwind. before. Yeah. Um, when things are going really well, it's also incredibly busy and you're very far away from home all the time. Um, so that was a huge change. And yeah, I was going to make the album over in the US, probably like LA, New York, London, Stockholm. But I was with my parents being told to take out of the dishwasher and help making dinner. Uh, which was I should be in bed good. air right now. Exactly. What is this? It was it was crazy. But um, I made the record mostly in Copenhagen together okay. with Lion and, and Caroline Aylin, which was really, really good. But it was a, it was a strange little bubble of the three of us. But yeah, that was the big lights in that period, and I'm incredibly proud of that album, it's How to brilliant. Let Go. It is so. Thank you. It's yeah. quite different from the a lot first of disco. One. I liked yeah. to see <laughs> anything with a bit of disco. Yeah, gets me up and running. Yeah, it's great. It was a good mix a of, of like yeah. disco, a lot of guitar-driven songs. It was leaning more into like band pop rock music as well, mm. which like we've talked about now is like the music i grew up on yeah um more so probably than synth pop wow more like band music it was it's always been like a good mix of the two growing up so it was really cool to explore that a bit more and it's a record about uh yeah letting go of shit shit, <laughs> shit. and yeah. you're back on the road now of course you're <laughs> you've just come from korea yeah uh, we kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the podcast and before i let you go back into the ether and into the nearest beer garden is that there is, there always has been a special relationship between you and Ireland. Mm. There has been that connection from from very early, early on, as I mentioned before about that gorgeous moment at Electric Picnic and other voices, of course, down in Dingle and you played it in Dublin recently and you did an acoustic tour of Irish pubs. Was that last year? Yeah. What brought that out? Was that just an idea you had to kind of Road test some of the songs, or what was the idea behind that? It was me calling my agent, asking okay. if we could make it happen. Okay, there we go. Um, last year, we were finally back again at work. It's been amazing. Mm. Uh, we've toured so many different countries with this album. Um, and when we had the release week of How to Let Go in the UK, I traveled with uh, the trio, so my guitarist and the, and the bassist. We traveled across the country to different record store shops oh, wow. and meet fans, do signings, yeah. um, and play songs. And I kind of made it into some sort of a weird stand-up show because I kept talking so much. And I usually don't talk that much okay. during like the big shows with the band because first of all, like I get tired in between the songs. I have to like catch a breath. And also, it's not always the right place and time for me to sit down and like have a real talk or crack jokes that no one in the back yeah. at the shows with thousands are going to hear yeah. but here I found myself at really intimate shows and I could just chat be that more open and honest and, yeah. yeah it was so chill it was so nice and we tried I remember my tour manager was like we have to cut down the set it's way too long now and then I would be like yeah yeah, yeah cutting songs and the set the day after would be longer because I was chatting longer <laughs> so that was the start and after that one of my favorite trips we've done I asked can we do the same in Ireland I love Ireland yeah. haven't been able to see the country yet and I work a lot so that's probably the way I can see the country so we drove around in a van wow. in Ireland we went to Donegal we went to Belfast in Northern okay. Ireland that was yeah. great 
um, Mitchellstown. Mitchellstown. Yep. Down we saw Cork, the caves. Cork Bay. We, yeah. Saw the caves. We saw the caves. Incredible. Did you perform in the caves? We did. Stunning. Actually, it was great. Wow. So fun. And yeah, it's just been amazing. And now we're back out again. I just came from my first Asia trip ever, which has been the most mental tour ever. First show in Tokyo, we sold out. We played festival thousands. Then we play Soul Jazz Festival and we play in a fucking arena. Wow. And there's like, and it's packed. It's been really incredible. So I'm just super grateful. You're bouncing to be back again. and flying from one amazing experience to another. So yes, and now it's, now it's Dublin. Now it's Dublin. Now you're home. You're you're home now. <laughs> uh, before I let you go into the day, I have to ask you this dreadful question: of all the three records that you've suggested today as being part of your recorded history, I know the face. I can see the face. What is that one record that you have to choose? Uh, uh, do you know? Droppe. Can yeah. you clear this? Keep it local, good. Yeah. I would absolutely recommend for anyone listening, it is a stunning album. Dropper, and first of all, thank you, Sigrid, for coming to see us here today. Thank you so much for having me. Sharing your story. I was reading that your name means beautiful victory. (laughs) Yeah. Or victorious beauty. Rather fitting, I have to say. May all your victories from now on be just as beautiful. And thank you so much for taking the time out of your remarkably busy schedule. Thanks for sharing your recorded history. Thank and best you. of luck with the gig tomorrow. Thank you so, so much for having me. Lovely to chat to you. Yeah, so there she was and there she goes. The super talented and super lovely Sigrid skipping off to the nearest beer garden for a well-earned scoop. She's one of her own is Sigrid. And look, we hear so much, so often for so many years from actors and musicians and bands about how much they love Ireland. But I can tell you this for a fact, the love that woman has for us is absolutely real and very much reciprocal. Her latest album, How To Let Go, is a stunner, so definitely check it out. And I really hope, as I always do, that you enjoyed our trip through Sigrid's record collection, that you can join me next week and every Sunday after that. If you want to check out any of Sigrid's choices or indeed anything at all that might tickle your eardrums, I would absolutely love it if you did so by way of our splendid sponsors at therecordhub.com I spotted Grievous Angel by Graham Parsons for a very tempting price earlier while I was browsing the site so definitely check them out we couldn't do it without them and who have I got next week yes we get to hear about the life and musical times of one of our greatest and most beloved singer-songwriters it's the quite phenomenal Connor O'Brien I've been Ed Smith this has been Recorded History now all you have to do is hit the old subscribe button there it is there it is no note just here right yes thank you very much and become a weekly listener. But above all that, subscribe to yourself. You're all stupendously sensational. Good luck. Go Loud presents Recorded History. Hosted, produced and researched by me, Ed Smith, at Go Loud Studios. The show was created and executive produced for Go Loud by D-Ready. Our series is proudly supported by TheRecordHub.com, your local Irish and online record store.